This episode of the OrthoBullets podcast will go over the topic of spinal cord monitoring from the spine section on orthobullets.com. Spinal cord monitoring is a method to detect injury to the spinal cord during operative procedures. The most common forms are EMG or electromyography, SEP or somatosensory evoked potentials, or MEP, otherwise known as motor evoked potentials. SCP, or somatosensory evoked potentials, are 25% sensitive and 100% specific. MEP, or motor evoked potentials, are 100% sensitive and 100% specific. Now let's go over some relevant anatomy, specifically spinal cord pathways and the blood supply to the spinal cord. With respect to spinal cord pathways, there is a sensory or afferent pathway and a motor or efferent pathway. With respect to the sensory or afferent pathways, this includes the dorsal column and the spinothalamic tract. The motor or efferent pathway contains the lateral corticospinal tract and the ventral corticospinal tract. With respect to the blood supply to the spinal cord, this consists of the anterior spinal artery and the posterior spinal artery, both right and left. With respect to the anterior spinal artery, this is the primary blood supply of the anterior two-thirds of the spinal cord, including both the lateral corticospinal tract and the ventral corticospinal tract. The posterior spinal artery is the primary blood supply to the dorsal sensory columns. Now, let's talk about sensory evoked potentials, or SEPs, in a bit more detail. The function of sensory evoked potentials is to monitor the integrity of the dorsal column sensory pathways of the spinal cord. The technique involves signal initiation and signal recording. With respect to signal initiation, the lower extremity usually involves stimulation of the posterior tibial nerve behind the ankle and the upper extremity usually involves stimulation of the ulnar nerve. With respect to signal recording, this is typically done through transcranial recording of the somatosensory cortex. The advantages of sensory evoked potentials is that it's reliable and unaffected by anesthetics. Disadvantages include that it's not reliable for monitoring the integrity of the anterior spinal cord pathways. Reports exist in the literature of an ischemic injury leading to paralysis despite normal SCP monitoring during surgery. Finally, with respect to some intraoperative considerations, remember that loss of signals during distraction mandates immediate removal of the device and repeated assessment of monitoring signals. Now let's move on to motor evoked potentials or MEPs. The function of motor evoked potentials is to monitor the integrity of the lateral and ventral corticospinal tract of the spinal cord. The technique also involves signal initiation and signal recording. The signal initiation for motor evoked potentials is transcranial stimulation of the motor cortex. Signal recording involves muscle contraction in the extremity, for example the gastrocnemius, the soleus, and the EHL of the lower extremity. Advantages of motor evoked potentials is that it's effective at detecting an ischemic injury, for example loss of the anterior spinal artery in the anterior two-thirds of the spinal cord. The disadvantages of motor evoked potentials is that it's often unreliable due to the effects of anesthesia. Intraoperative considerations are similar to that of sensory evoked potentials in that for motor evoked potentials, loss of signals during distraction mandates immediate removal of the device and repeated assessment of monitoring signals. Moving on to mechanical electromyography, which is spontaneous, this monitors the integrity of specific spinal nerve roots. The concept behind mechanical electromyography is that microtrauma to the nerve root during surgery causes depolarization and a resulting action potential in the muscle that can be recorded. Contact of a surgical instrument with a nerve root will lead to, quote, burst activity and has no clinical significance. 
Significant injury or traction to a nerve root will lead to what's called a sustained train activity, which may be clinically significant. With respect to signal initiation in mechanical electromyography, this involves mechanical stimulation or surgical manipulation of a nerve root. Signal recording involves muscle contraction in the extremity. The advantages of mechanical electromyography is that it allows monitoring of specific nerve roots. Disadvantages is that it may be overly sensitive. For example, sustained train activity does not necessarily reflect nerve root injury. Finally, let's talk about electrical electromyography, which is triggered. This option allows detection of a breached pedicle screw. The concept behind electrical electromyography is that bone conducts electricity poorly. An electrically stimulated pedicle screw that is confined to the bone will not stimulate the nerve root. If there is a breach in a pedicle, stimulation of the screw would lead to activity of that specific nerve root. With respect to signal initiation, this occurs from electrical stimulation of the placed pedicle screw, and signal recording happens with muscle contraction in the extremity. The advantages of electrical electromyography is that it allows monitoring of specific nerve roots. Disadvantages is that it may also be overly sensitive, for example, sustained train activity does not necessarily reflect nerve root injury. Okay, so now that we've gone over the major points about this topic, let's go over a few questions to apply the information and get a sense of how this topic has been tested on past exams. The first question reads, Which of the following statements regarding somatosensory evoked potentials, or SSEPs, as a method to detect neurologic injury during spinal deformity surgery is true? And the choices are 1. SSEPs are not reliable with respect to monitoring the integrity of the anterior spinal cord pathways. 2. The minimum criteria for determining potentially significant SSEP changes include a 10% decrease in amplitude and a 50% increase in latency. 3. Signal initiation is performed with transcranial stimulation of the somatosensory cortex. 4. SSEPs are more sensitive to the effect of anesthesia than MEPs or motor evoked potentials. And 5. They monitor the integrity of the anterior spinothalamic tract. The correct answer to this question is 1. SSEPs are not reliable with respect to monitoring the integrity of the anterior spinal cord pathways. SSEPs are not reliable with respect to monitoring the integrity of the anterior spinal cord pathways. Anterior motor tract damage can occur without concomitant change in SSEPs. Of the listed statements, this is the only statement that is true. To quickly review, with SSEPs, signal initiation comprises stimulation of the posterior tibial nerve behind the ankle or perineal nerve at the fibular head of the lower extremity or the median slash ulnar nerve of the upper extremity. And signal recording involves transcranial recording of the somatosensory cortex. The SSEP components are mediated entirely by the dorsal columns, the posterior columns specifically, of the spinal cord specifically the fasciculus cuneatus for upper limb SSCPs and fasciculus gracilis for lower limb SSCPs. With motor evoked potentials, signal initiation comprises transcranial stimulation of the motor cortex and signal recording is recording of the muscle contraction at the extremity, for example the EHL, soleus, etc. Devlin et al. summarized that SSCPs provide 1. Direct information regarding posterior columns, 2. Indirect information regarding anterior motor tracts, 3. No information regarding individual nerve roots. Transcranial electric motor evoked potentials allow evaluation of lateral and anterior corticospinal motor tracts, spinal nerve roots, peripheral nerves, and nerve plexuses. Weiss opined that SSEPs are minimally invasive and easy to record. 
For nerve root monitoring, EMG is reliable and instantaneous. He advised simultaneous SSEP and nerve root EMG for cervical and lumbosacral procedures. On the other hand, motor evoke potentials, or MEPs, are technically demanding, controversial, and there's no standardized warning criteria to interpret significant changes in MEPs. Moving on to the next question. In the evaluation of somatosensory evoked potential waveforms for intraoperative neuromonitoring for spinal surgery, the minimum criteria for determining potentially significant changes include, and the choices are 1, 10% decrease in amplitude and a 50% decrease in latency, 2, 10% decrease in amplitude and a 50% increase in latency, 3, 0% loss of amplitude and transient increase in latency, 4, 50% decrease in amplitude and 10% increase in latency, and 5, 50% decrease in amplitude and a 10% decrease in latency. The correct answer to this question is 4, 50% decrease in amplitude and a 10% increase in latency. So the established criteria for interpreting a significant change are 50% decreases in signal amplitude and 10% latency increase and or a complete loss of potential. Intraoperative spinal cord monitoring during spinal surgery generally consists of a combination of monitoring modalities. Somatosensory evoked potentials in combination with intraoperative electromyography can provide adequate coverage of sensory and motor components of spinal cord and nerve root function. Significant changes in evoked potential waveform characteristics can reflect this function of the ascending somatosensory system. Moving on to the next question. A 75-year-old woman is undergoing a T10 to S1 lumbar decompression infusion for severe degenerative scoliosis. During the deformity corrective maneuver, intraoperative neuromonitoring revealed a sustained 80% decrease in somatosensory evoked potential amplitudes. Appropriate lead placement and functioning has been reconfirmed by the neuromonitoring technician. The anesthesiologist has ruled out any anesthetic-related or hemodynamic issues. What is the next appropriate step in management? And the choices are 1. Completion of the surgical procedure with continued monitoring. 2. Reversal of the corrective maneuver in consideration of a wake-up test. 3. Administration of high-dose corticosteroids intraoperatively. 4. Removal of all instrumentation. And 5. Discontinue monitoring. The correct answer to this question is 2. Reversal of the corrective maneuver and consideration of a wake-up test. So the most appropriate management is discontinuation of the spinal instrumentation procedure, including releasing any distractive forces. Given the ongoing changes, proceeding with the procedure and or resetting the baseline amplitudes is inadvisable. If the SSEP amplitudes fail to return in a timely fashion, it is strongly recommended to consider a wake-up test. The purpose of intraoperative neuromonitoring is to provide a real-time assessment of the functional integrity of the central and peripheral nervous systems during surgery to prevent iatrogenic injury. Sustained decreased SSEP amplitudes of greater than 50% and transcranial electric motor evoked potential amplitudes of greater than 75% are indicative of a possible significant intraoperative neurologic complication. Although intraoperative corticosteroids might be helpful, especially in the event of a continued SSEP change, the most important next step would be to release the distractive forces and reevaluate the patient's neurologic status. Moving on to the next question, what is the most common non-anesthetic-related reversible cause of sustained changes in intraoperative neurophysiologic monitoring signals during spinal surgery? And the choices are 1. Pedicle screw misplacement, 2. Patient positioning, 3. Spinal cord ischemia, 4. Retractor placement, and 5. Hypertension. 
The correct answer to this question is two, patient positioning. So patient positioning that results in local nerve compression, plexus traction, or improper neck alignment is the most common non-anesthetic related cause of changes in intraoperative neurophysiologic monitoring data during spinal surgery. Pedicle screw malpositioning, spinal cord ischemia, and retractor placement are all less common causes. Hypotension, not hypertension, can be a cause of intraoperative neurophysiologic changes. Moving on to the next question. During spinal deformity surgery, which of the following is the most sensitive early indicator of an intraoperative injury to the spinal cord? And the choices are 1. Somatosensory evoked potentials, 2. Transcranial motor evoked potential monitoring, or MEPs, and the choices are 1. Somatosensory evoked potentials, or SEPs, 2. Transcranial motor evoked potential monitoring, or MEPs, 3. Transcutaneous electroencephalogram neuromonitoring, 4. Stimulus-evoked transpedicular electromyography, or EMG, and 5. Brainstem auditory-evoked responses. The correct answer to this question is 2. Transcranial motor-evoked potential monitoring. So when monitoring for spinal cord injury, the modality with the highest sensitivity is desired, of which transcranial motor-evoked potentials provide the most sensitive early indicator of an intraoperative spinal cord injury. The other tests, like SEPs, are more specific and are done in conjunction with motor evoked potentials to confirm spinal cord injury. Somatosensory evoked potentials are routinely used but do not have the sensitivity of motor evoked potentials. EMG evaluations are routinely used for root evaluation following pedicle screw placement. Brainstem auditory evoked responses are typically used in monitoring brain surgery. Moving on to the next question. Which of the following is considered the most effective means of identifying an evolving motor tract injury during cervical spine surgery? And the choices are 1. Mean arterial blood pressure monitoring, 2. SSEP monitoring, 3. Free run electromyography, 4. Transcranial motor monitoring, and 5. The wake-up test. The correct answer to this question is 4. Transcranial motor monitoring. So in a study of 427 patients undergoing cervical spine surgery, 12 patients demonstrated a substantial or complete loss of amplitudes of the transcranial motor monitoring. 10 of those patients had complete reversal of the loss following prompt intraoperative intervention. SSEP monitoring failed to identify any changes in one of the two patients that awoke with a new motor deficit. SSEP changes lagged behind the transcranial motor monitoring changes in patients in which major changes were detected by both modalities. Transcranial motor monitoring was 100% sensitive and 100% specific. SSEP monitoring was only 25% sensitive and 100% specific. And moving on to the final question, a 51-year-old woman with no preoperative neurologic deficit is undergoing elective anterior cervical discectomy and fusion, or ACDF, with plating and fusion for a C5-C6 disc herniation with right-sided neck pain. 30 minutes into the surgery, the neurophysiologic monitoring shows a rapid drop and then loss of amplitude in the right cortical somatosensory evoked potential waveform. All other waveforms remain normal and unchanged, including right-sided cervical or subcortical and peripheral, otherwise known as herbs point, and those from the left-sided upper extremity and both lower extremities. What is the most likely cause of the change? And the choices are 1. Electrode placement, 2. Stimulation failure, 3. Anesthetic effect, 4. Cord ischemia from retraction, and 5. Cerebral ischemia from retraction. The correct answer to this question is 5. Cerebral ischemia from retraction. 
so the change noted is focal and confined to the cortex, sparing the opposite side, both lower extremities, and the subcortical waveforms, making all the choices unlikely with the exception of carotid compression with focal cortical ischemia. This may be associated with poor collateral flow from the opposite hemisphere due to an incomplete circle of Willis. That's all for this review about spinal cord monitoring. Hopefully that was helpful. This is the OrthoBullets podcast, a daily audio review session by OrthoBullets, the free learning and collaboration community for orthopedic surgery education. If you're enjoying the podcast so far, please consider leaving us a five-star rating and writing us a review on Apple Podcasts. It will help us spread the word and increase our discoverability tremendously. Thanks so much, and we'll see you all tomorrow.